uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel host coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Thursday, October 20th, 2022, and this is a weird morning. First, my alarm went off. Normally, I get up early because I have... uh, I zoom into the weekly prayer meeting of staff, faculty, and students at uh, GBTS on Thursday mornings. But my alarm went off this morning, and the 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 spirit was willing, but the flesh was really sleepy. So I turned my alarm clock off, knowing that I had my six o'clock alarm set to get up to do the podcast and everything. So I just. At 4.40, I turned my alarm clock off and went back to sleep for another hour and then didn't want to get up at 6 either, but I did. And was not expecting to come in and sit down at my desk after taking my shower this morning only to discover that Prime Minister Liz Truss of the United Kingdom has announced her resignation after 45 days in office. Um, big surprise that, um, I have not been paying attention that much to UK politics in the last few weeks as I've been reading more about things here in the States gearing up for the midterm election in a couple of weeks. And I, that, that blindsided me. I knew she had had some setbacks, some of her economic policies had not been, been able to get past parliament, um, but I was not expecting to hear her resignation. And like I said, I haven't looked into it at all. But all I can imagine is this is more than a legislative setback. This was, she has to be getting pressure from her own party. Um, because, I mean, politicians lose uh legislative battles all the time um, and and don't resign over it. So there's something deeper going on here. Um, but I, I, I like Liz Truss. Um, she is a conservative. She was trying to push through an agenda very similar to Margaret Thatcher's back in the 80s um, of lower taxes lower government spending, more private sector. And the people don't realize, and, and the, the, the Liberal Party in, in the UK has done a, a good job of painting over the successes of Margaret Thatcher so that when she died, there were actually protests at her funeral. Um, but the policies of Margaret Thatcher led to uh, economic boom times in the UK in the 80s um, like they hadn't seen 
in in since probably the 50s or 60s and so I, was, you know, I had a friend this morning messing me, you know, what does this mean? What, what does this mean? And I'm like, well, I don't know for sure, but it's not good. Um, and all I can think and wonder is, has the UK been socialist for too long? Um, and if that's the case, this is a sad thing. But, I mean, we've seen, you know, the, the vote for Brexit. Um back in 2016 was significant. Um, the withdrawal from the European Union was significant. But uh, remembering the reporting at the time, there was quite a significant age gap in voting for Brexit, where it was predominantly older voters who pushed that through, and that the younger Brit younger Brits were were less um, enthusiastic about Brexit. Well, that's been six years now, um, and so you know, in six years, a lot of old people die. And I'm I'm not saying that to be morbid. I'm just saying that to be there is a shifting age demographic. Um, we're seeing older conservative, more conservative people dying off and younger liberal people filling the voter ranks. And I'm afeared as to what that might mean in going forward. But I like Liz Truss. Um, I thought she was going to be a great prime minister. It, it saddens me that she only lasted less than two months appointed in Queen Elizabeth's last official act before her passing two days later. Um, just a, you know, so this is Queen Elizabeth's last prime minister has just announced her resignation, you know, in a matter of weeks after taking the job. So I, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes, and I don't think it's good. Um, this was a good prime minister who had a great deal of promise, but something happened. And I, like I said, I have not been watching UK politics because I've been watching the American politics and I usually pay closer attention to what's going on in Europe and in the United Kingdom, especially, um, which the United Kingdom is not part of Europe, it is an island. And uh, I constantly remind people of that, so perhaps I need to remind myself of that. So I'm not sure what this means. I will be doing some reading in some of my uh, British and European news sources between now and next week, and we will talk about this next week and, and talk about what it might mean, what it might mean for the American midterm elections. Um, you know, we, we like to think that we're super independent, but nobody really is super independent. Um, and so the, what what effect might this have? I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, but God is sovereign. God is on his throne. This was not a surprise to him. This was decreed before eternity. 
so or in eternity past. So you know, all things whatsoever come to pass by His infinite, uh, infinite uh, wisdom. So we will sit back and watch and see what this means. Well, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated primarily to the public reading of Scripture and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day. And that was my thoughts on the topics of today, but it's Thursday. And that means it's Theology Thursday. And we're going to be looking at paragraph 5 of chapter 8 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. Chapter 8 is entitled, Of Christ the Mediator. And so as we've been going through chapter 8, we've been looking at the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we will continue that today. We are also reading through the entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible this year. And our scripture readings today are Jeremiah 47-49, Psalm 80, and 2 Peter 2. Before we begin, I want to remind you that Scroll Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.org. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something worth listening to. And please, subscribe to Squirrel Chatter on your podcasting source, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn. You know, we're all over the place. So if you search your podcast, where you get your podcasts for Squirrel Chatter, and subscribe to the show, Give us a five-star rating. Drop a review. It helps us. We appreciate that. Mm. We appreciate that. It's me and Darby in the room. Mrs. Squirrel's in the other room. You know, I don't have a huge staff. <laughs> but it is greatly appreciated. If you subscribe to the podcast and give us a, give us a good rating, help the podcast get noticed, we appreciate that. The podcast is growing. I keep looking at the downloads, and, and I, I'm not somebody who watches you know, the download numbers, but every once in a while I look at Adam and it's like, wow, that episode got a lot of downloads. So just, I'm not, uh, I know we're not in the top 10 of Christian podcasts. We're probably not even the top 10,000, but uh, you can help us move up the ranks. That'd be great. All right. Well, let us begin as is our practice with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Jeremiah chapter 47. That which came is the word of Yahweh to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines 
before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, waters are going to rise from the north and become an overflowing torrent and overflow the land as well as its fullness. The city and those who inhabit it and the men will cry out and every inhabitant of the land will wail because of the noise of the galloping hooves of his valiant steeds, the quaking of his chariots and the tumult of his wheels. The fathers have not turned back for their children because of the limpness of their of their hands. On account of the day that is coming to destroy all the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Sidon every ally that is left. For Yahweh is going to destroy the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ashkelon has been ruined, O remnant of their valley. How long will you gash yourself? Ah, sword of Yahweh, how long will you not be quiet? Withdraw into your sheath, be at rest, and stay still. How can it be quiet? Yahweh has given it a command against Ashkelon and against the seacoast. There he has assigned it. Chapter 48. Concerning Moab, thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Woe to Nebo, for it has been destroyed. Kariatham has been put to shame, it has been captured. The lofty stronghold has been put to shame and shattered. There is praise for Moab no more. In Heshbon they have devised calamity against her. Come and let us cut her off from, the, from being a nation. You too, madmen, will be silenced. The sword will follow after you. The sound of an outcry from Horonaim. Devastation and great destruction. Moab is broken. Her little ones have made their cry of distress heard. For by the ascent of Luhith they have, they have ascended with continual weeping. For at the destruction of Horonaim they have heard the distressed cry of destruction. Flee, escape with your lives, that you may be like a juniper in the wilderness. For because of your trust in your own works and treasures, even you yourself will be captured, and Chemosh will go off into exile together with his priests and his princes. A destroyer will come to every city, so that no city will escape. The valley also will perish, and the plateau will be destroyed, as Yahweh has said. Give wings to Moab, for she will flee away, and her cities will become a desolation without inhabitants in them. Cursed be the one who does the work of Yahweh with a slack hand, and cursed be the one who restrains his sword from blood. Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has also had quiet like wine on its dregs, and he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. Therefore he retains his flavor and his aroma has not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will send to him those who tip vessels, and they will tip him over, and they will empty his vessels and shatter his jars, and Moab will be ashamed of Chemosh, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their trust. How can you say we are mighty warriors and men valiant for battle? Moab has been destroyed. And men have gone up to his cities. His choicest young men have also gone down to the slaughter. Declares the king whose name is Yahweh of hosts. The disaster of Moab will soon come and his calamity is quickly hastened. Mourn for him all you live around him. Even all of you who know his name say, How, how has the strong scepter been broken, a staff of beauty? 
Come down from your glory and inhabit the parched ground, O inhabitant of the daughter of Dibbon. For the destroyer of Moab has come up against you. He has ruined your strongholds. Stand by the road and keep watch, O inhabitant of Aror. Ask him who flees with her, who escapes, and say what has happened. Moab has been put to shame, for it has been shattered. Wail and cry out, declare by the Arnon that Moab has been destroyed. Sorry, I forgot to silence my phone. Judgment has also come up upon the plain, upon Halon, upon Jaza, and against Mephatah, and against Dibbon, Nebo, and Beth-Diblatham, and against Kiriatham, Beth-Gamel, and Beth-Maon, and against Kiriath, and Basra, and all the cities of the land of Moab far and near. The horn of Moab has been cut in pieces, and his arm broken, declares Yahweh. Make him drunk, for he has magnified himself against Yahweh. So Moab will wallow in his vomit, and he also will become a laughingstock. Now was not Israel a laughingstock to you? Or was he caught among thieves? For each time you speak about him, you shake your head in scorn. Leave the cities and dwell among the crags, O inhabitants of Moab. And be like a dove that nests beyond the mouth of a chasm. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his haughtiness, his pride, his arrogance, and the exaltedness of his heart. I know his fury, declares Yahweh, but it is nothing. His idle boasts have accomplished nothing. Therefore I will wail for Moab. Even for all Moab I will cry out. I will moan for the men of Kirherez. More than the weeping for Jazer, I will weep for you, O vine of Sibma. Your branches stretched across the sea. They reached the sea of Jazer. Upon your summer fruits and your grape harvests, the destroyer has fallen. So gladness and joy are gathered up from the fruitful orchard, even from the land of Moab. And I have made the wine to cease from the wine presses. No one will tread them with shouting. The shouting will not be shouts of joy. From the outcry at Heshbon, even to Eliela, even to Jahaz, they have given forth their voice. From Zoar, even to Horonaim, and to Eglith Shelasheah, for even the waters of Nimrim will become desolate. I will make Moab cease, declares Yahweh. The one who offers offerings on the high places, and the one who offers offerings in smoke to his gods. Therefore my heart moans for Moab like flutes. My heart also moans like flutes for the men of Kirherez. Therefore they have lost the abundance it produced. For every head is bald and every beard cut short. There are gashes on all their heads and sackcloth on their loins. On all the rooftops of Moab and in its open squares there is lamentation everywhere. For I have broken Moab like an undesirable vessel, declares Yahweh. How shattered it is, how they have wailed, how Moab has turned his back, he is ashamed. So Moab will become a laughingstock and an object of terror to all around him. For thus says Yahweh, Behold, one will swoop like an eagle and spread out his wings against Moab. Kiriath has been captured, and the strongholds have been seized. So the hearts of the mighty men of Moab in that day will be like the heart of a woman in labor. Moab will be destroyed from being a people 
because he has magnified himself against Yahweh. Panic and pit and pitfall are coming upon you, O inhabitant of Moab, declares Yahweh. The one who flees from the panic will fall into the pit, and the one who climbs up out of the pit will be caught in the pitfall. For I shall bring upon her, even upon Moab, the year of their punishment, declares Yahweh. In the shadow of Heshbon, those who flee stand without strength. For a fire has gone forth from Heshbon, and a flame from the midst of Sihon. And it has devoured the top of the head of Moab, and the scalps of those who rumble. Woe to you, Moab! The people of Chemosh have perished. For your sons have been taken away captive, and your daughters into captivity. Yet I will return the fortunes of Moab in the last days, declares Yahweh. Thus far the judgment on Moab. Concerning the sons of Ammon, chapter 41. Concerning the sons of 49, chapter 49. Ah, oh, take another sip of coffee, Gene. Jeremiah, chapter 49. Concerning the sons of Ammon, thus says Yahweh. Does Israel have no sons? Or has he no one who can take possession? Why then has Malcolm taken possession of God, and his people settled in his cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, that I will cause a trumpet blast of war to be heard against Reba of the sons of Ammon. And it will become a desolate heap, and her towns will be set on fire. Then Israel will take possession of his possessions, says Yahweh. Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai has been destroyed. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah. Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, and rush back and forth inside the walls, for Malcham will go into exile together with his priests and his princes. How beautiful you are about the valleys. Your valley is flowing away, O faithless daughter, who trusts in her treasures, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I am going to bring dread upon you, declares Yahweh of hosts, from all around you, and each of you will be banished headlong, with no one to gather the one who flees. But afterwards, I will return the fortunes of the sons of Ammon, declares Yahweh. Concerning Edom, thus says Yahweh of hosts, Is there no longer any wisdom in Teman? Has counsel been lost to the understanding? Has their wisdom decayed? Flee away, turn back, inhabit the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring the disaster of Esau upon him, at the time I punish him. If grape-gatherers come to you, would they not have gleanings remain? If thieves came by night, would they ruin only and until they had enough? But I have stripped Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding places, so that he will not be able to conceal himself. His seed has been destroyed along with his relatives and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your orphans behind. I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. For thus says Yahweh, Behold, those who are not under judgment to drink the cup will certainly drink it. But are you the one who will go completely unpunished? You will not go unpunished, but you will certainly drink it. For I have sworn by myself, declares Yahweh, that Basra will become an object of horror, a reproach, a ruin, and an imprecation, and all its cities will become perpetual ruins. I have heard the message from Yahweh, and an envoy is sent among the nations, saying, Gather yourselves together and come against her and rise up for the battle. For behold, I have made you small among the nations, despised among men. As for the terror of you, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you. 
O you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who sees the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as an eagle's, I will bring you down from there, declares Yahweh. Edom will become an object of horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss at all its wounds. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, says Yahweh, no one will live there. Nor will a son of man sojourn in it. Behold, one will come up like a lion from the thickets of the Jordan against an enduring pasture. For in an instant I will make him run away from it, and whoever is chosen I shall appoint over it. For who is like me, and who will summon me into court? And who then is the shepherd who can stand against me? Therefore, hear the counsel of Yahweh which he has counseled against Edom, and his purposes with which he has purposed against the inhabitants of Teman. Surely they will drag them off, even the little ones of the flock. Surely he will make their pastures desolate because of them. The earth has quaked at the noise of their downfall. There is an outcry. The noise of it has been heard at the Red Sea. Behold, he will mount up and swoop like an eagle and spread out his wings against Basra. And the hearts of the mighty men of Edom in that day will be like the heart of a woman in labor. Concerning Damascus, Hamath and Arpad are put to shame, for they have heard a bad report. They are melting away. There is anxiety by the sea. It cannot be quieted. Damascus has become limp in their hands. She has turned away to flee, and panic has taken hold of her. Distress and pangs have seized her like a woman in childbirth. How the city of praise has not been forsaken, the town of my joy. Therefore her young men will fall in her open squares, and all the men of war will be silenced in that day, declares Yahweh of hosts. I will set fire to the wall of Damascus, and it will devour the fortified towers of Ben-Hadad. Concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon struck down, thus says Yahweh, Arise, go up to Kedar, and destroy the men of the east. They will take away their tents and their flocks. They will carry off for themselves their tent curtains, all their goods, and their camels, and they will call out to one another terror on every side. Run away, flee earnestly, inhabit the depths, O inhabitants of Hazar, declares Yahweh. For Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has taken counsel against you, and purposed a purpose against you. Arise, go up against a nation which is at ease, which inhabits its land securely, declares Yahweh. It has no gates or bars, they dwell alone. Their camels will become plunder, and their many cattle for spoil. And I will scatter to all the winds those who cut the corners of their hair, and I will bring their disaster from every side, declares Yahweh. Hazor will become a haunt of jackals, a desolation forever, and no one will inhabit there. Nor will a son of man sojourn in it. That which came is the word of Yahweh to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I am going to break the bow of Edom, Elam, the finest of their might. I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four ends of heaven, and I will scatter them to all these winds, and there will be no nation to which the banished ones of Elam will not go. So I will shatter Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their lives, and I will bring calamity upon them. 
even my burning anger, declares Yahweh. And I will send out the sword after them until I have consumed them. Then I will set my throne in Elam and cause king and princes from there to perish, declares Yahweh. But it will be in the last days that I will return the fortunes of Elam, declares Yahweh. Now Psalm 80. For the choir director, El Shoshanim, Edith of Asaph, a psalm. O shepherd of Israel, give ear. You who guide Joseph like a flock, you who entered above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us that we would be saved. O Yahweh, God of hosts, how long will you smolder against the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and you have made them to drink tears in large measure. You have set us as an object of strife to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us among themselves. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, that we might be saved. You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations, and then you planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shadow, and the cedars of God with its bows. It sent out its branches to the sea, and its shoots to the river. Why have you broken down its hedges, so that all who pass that way will pick its fruit? A boar from the forest devours it, and whoever moves in the field feeds on it. O God of hosts, return now, we beseech you. Look down from heaven and see, and visit this vine, even the sapling which your right hand has planted, and on the son whom you have strengthened for yourself. It is burning with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your face. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Yahweh of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us that we might be saved. Now Second Peter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit, and delivered them to chains of darkness, being kept for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, or by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who go after the flesh in its corrupt lusts and despise authority, daring 
self-willed. They do not tremble when they blaspheme glorious ones. Whereas angels who are greater in strength and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, blaspheming where they have no knowledge, will, in the destruction of those creatures, also be destroyed, suffering unrighteousness as the wages of their unrighteousness, considering it a pleasure to revile in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes reviling in their deceptions as they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and unceasing sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, for they are accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own lawlessness, for a mute donkey speaking out with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been kept. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by sensual lusts, by sensual lusts of the flesh, those who barely escape from the ones who conducted themselves in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by that he is enslaved. For if they are overcome, having both escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and having again been estranged, entangled in them, then the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. The message of the true proverb, the message of the true proverb has happened to them. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallow in the mire. This is the word of the Lord. And now... The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. As I said, it is Thursday, so it's Theology Thursday, and we are looking at the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 8 of Christ the Mediator. And today we are in Paragraph 5. Hmm. Good coffee. This is, I am drinking today Herb's House House Blend Coffee. I got two bags of beans yesterday, and so I am enjoying 
Herb's House coffee while wearing a Waffle House mug or a Waffle House shirt. Life is just strange. All right. Paragraph five. The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered up to God, has fully satisfied the justice of God, procured reconciliation, and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given unto him. So again, this is talking about several things here. We have the active obedience of Christ, the passive obedience of Christ. We have the propitiation of sin, the satisfaction of God's justice, reconciliation between sinner and God, everlasting inheritance of the, of the saved sinner, and divine election. So this is a jam-packed little paragraph. Let's look at this. The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience, that is the active obedience of Christ, he perfectly fulfilled the law. He lived the perfect life that none of us are able to live. And he did that on our behalf so that we would be able to receive his perfect righteousness. And then having lived that perfect life, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, that was to pay the penalty for our sin. So our sins are paid for and our righteousness is itself is a gift from God because our own righteousness is holy and sufficient. So he lived that perfect life that we can't live and then he died in our place. So he lived in our place and he died in our place and both of those are vitally important. Both of those were necessary. Everything Christ did was necessary. He came to earth to redeem us. Everything he did on earth was in perfect obedience to God. And his death satisfied the wrath of God for all those who would come to him, which is all those whom God would give to him. So the Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice himself, which he through the eternal spirit once offered up to God, this is saying that he, he died once for sins. His, his one death was absolutely sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. The, this is one of the reasons why the Roman Catholic Mass is so blasphemous. It's blasphemous in the fact that it makes the Lord Jesus Christ subject to the commands of the priest that is in itself blasphemous excuse me because the creator is not subject to the creation in any way shape or form the second reason that the roman catholic mass is so blasphemous is that it is a re-sacrifice of christ so it denies the sufficiency of the cross 
Christ has to be re-sacrificed during the Mass and reapplied to the worshiper in order to keep them saved. Yet Scripture tells us he died once for all, and then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. So we don't have we don't have to keep going back to the cross in order to have our sins cleansed. Our sins were sufficiently paid for once at the cross if we have trusted in Christ for salvation. We don't have to continually be renewed in that sense. Now, we do have to live lives of of awareness of and confession of our own sinfulness. Because remember, our righteousness, the best that we can do, is filthy rags. And none of us are at our best very often. We're often at our worst, or at least <laughs> subpar. So we do have to continually come to him for forgiveness, but that's not the eternal forgiveness for our sins. Because at the cross, he paid for the sins of all who would believe in him, past, present, and future, completely and fully. Because we couldn't and we can't. And in so doing, he has fully satisfied the justice of God. This is, again, one of those things where we really have to think about what did Christ save us from? And what he saved us from was the just and holy wrath of God. He bore the wrath of God in our place on the cross. It wasn't just his physical death. It was the fact that all of the sins of all who would believe were poured out on him on the cross and the wrath of God was applied and satisfied. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We have been bought at a price, and we have been bought for a purpose. And our purpose is to serve God and glorify him forever. And so, but that, that purchase was, was perfect. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By one offering. That was all that took place. That was all that needed to take place. It's that one offering. So scripture itself condemns the Roman Catholic mass. It is blasphemous. Romans 3, 25 and 26 says, Whom, talking about Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith for a demonstration of his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God's justice had to be satisfied so that he would remain just because God is perfect in his justice, so his justice had to be satisfied. But he also had a plan whereby in the person of his son, he could justify sinners. Justifying the one who has faith in Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Propitiation is one of those theological terms that everybody needs to know. Propitiation is that which satisfies wrath or that which satisfies justice. It's an appeasement. Christ on the cross appeased the wrath of God for all who would have faith in him. And uh, that's just the fact. And that's so that's that's you know he by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself went through which through the eternal spirit he once offered up to God once one sacrifice has fully satisfied the justice of God. Continuing, procured reconciliation. What does it mean to be reconciled to God? Reconciliation is what takes place between warring parties when they come to peace. It is a restoration of relationship. When you make up with someone with whom you have a disagreement, that is reconciliation. You are reconciled with that person. Christ reconciles us with God because we were at war with God. We were in rebellion with our King and our Creator. That's why we justly deserve His wrath and His fury. But in paying for our sins and providing us with perfect righteousness, we can now be reconciled with God so that the war is over and there is now peace between us. Not only peace, but love and affection. So Christ, in his perfect obedience and in his sacrificial death, procured the procurement is to 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 get <laughs> you know um, it's it's to get something that is needed he procured reconciliation by his perfect life and sacrificial death so that we might be reconciled to god and he purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians chapter 1. We are fellow heirs with Christ. Christ is heir of everything, and we are joint heirs. What a... That's mind-boggling. 
At least it should be mind-boggling. If, if, if it doesn't boggle your mind, you're not thinking about it. You're not thinking about what it means. To be reconciled with God and to be an heir, an everlasting inheritance. This is not something we will ever lose. You inherit something on earth, you know. You can spend it. You know, you'll certainly lose it when you die because we don't take anything with us. But the inheritance we have from God, we will never lose. And he did this, all of this, for all those whom the Father has given unto him. This is John 6. Go and read through John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Of those that the Father gives me, I will lose none. And no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. The Father in eternity past elected to salvation specific individuals from throughout human history. And he gave those individuals to the Son. And all those whom the Father gave to the Son will come to the Son. And only those that the Father gave to the Son will come to the Son. And the Son will lose none of those who come to him. They are secure. And he will raise them up on the last day. That's the message of John 6. And that's what this is. All that the Father has given unto the Son will come to the Son. And he has done all of these things. The, the, the perfect obedient life, the sacrificial death, the procurement of reconciliation, the purchase of the everlasting inheritance, all of that was done by Christ for those whom the Father has given unto him. Folks, Jesus is a perfect Savior. He saved perfectly at the cross all those whom he intended to save. God will not be sitting in heaven for all of eternity, pining for the people he tried to save and was not able because he saved absolutely everybody he intended to save, past, present, and future, at the cross. He's not going to, oh, I tried so hard to save Johnny, but Johnny just wouldn't. No. <laughs> no. Salvation is of the Lord. He, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. For those whom he justified he glorified yeah we are we are the elect who have been chosen from all humanity not because of anything in us but because of his infinite wisdom and his infinite love and his infinite mercy and for his own wise purposes he chose whom he chose <clears throat> and then those people are made alive in the spirit come to faith are justified are sanctified are glorified that is his will for us who come to faith in Christ how do you know you're one of the elect you believed so we proclaim the gospel and call on everyone to believe 
God's people will. And that's how it works. It's not because of our persuasiveness. It's not a matter of being, you know, a great salesman of the gospel. Oh, you can be emotionally manipulative and you can get people to make false professions. But you can't change anybody's heart. Only God can do that. And so we proclaim the gospel not as a salesman trying to sell a car on a used car lot. We proclaim the gospel completely in the, the language of the scriptures. We tell people about their sin. We point out their sin. We tell them about the judgment to come. And then we tell them about the way of escape that has been provided the way of escape that has been provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. And those whom God has elected, he will use the proclamation of the gospel to call. And we may not see the harvest. You know, Paul uses the metaphor of some plant, some water, some see the harvest. When you proclaim the gospel faithfully, you are either planting the seed, watering the seed, or you might see the harvest of the elect. And we are told the field is white unto harvest to send workers out into the field because there are souls whom God has chosen, whose God has chosen to come to faith in Christ, who have yet to come to that faith. And so we proclaim the gospel. Because God has not only ordained the ends, he has ordained the means. And so we proclaim the gospel to all those whom we can. And we trust God to bring from all the people in the world to bring out his people. And it will happen. And so it's not up to us. It's up to us to be obedient. It's up to us to be faithful, but it's not up to us to persuade men. Now, does not that mean we don't try to be persuasive? No, of course not. Um, but it's ultimately not up to us. And a good salesman, a good manipulative, and salesmanship is manipulative. Don't think it isn't. A good salesman can get somebody to make a profession of faith that may or may not be genuine. There are a lot of false converts in, in the church. They're not in the universal church, but they are in local churches around the, around the globe. Those who have made a false profession of faith, those who think they're Christians, but who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, and you can see them, they, they put their faith in their own works, they put their faith in their own righteousness. They think that by going to church, they're earning favor with God. They think that, you know, by fulfilling moral obligations, they are earning their way into heaven. And that's not how it works. We need the perfect life and reconciling death of Jesus Christ. That's what we need in order to come to him. Now, here are 
proof text here is John 17, 2. We read, Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So this, all those whom the Father gives to the Son, the Son gives eternal life. All those. There's nobody that the Father chose to give to the Son who doesn't come to the Son. There's nobody that the Father chose to give to the Son who doesn't receive eternal life. Hebrews 9.15 And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. An eternal inheritance. What, what joy, what undeserved favor we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and in his death to bring us to the Father and to reconcile us to God. Let me read the whole paragraph again. The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered up to God, has fully satisfied the justice of God, procured reconciliation, and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given unto him. May this be true of you. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, do so today, because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed five minutes from now. Do it now. Be reconciled to God. Why would you perish? Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, folks, have a great Thursday. Remember, please, to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. 